morning, everybody, or good afternoon, depending on where you are. Welcome to Branding Pledge Live, the live stream that's 100% THC, 0% WTF. Every week, we bring business people to talk about the business of cannabis. I'm David Palaszczuk, the founder of Branding Bud Consulting Group and the author of Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis, the first book on cannabis branding. And I'm joined by my BCF, my best cannabis friend, Adriana Heeman. She's the Director of Marketing at Green Meadows. Hey, Adriana, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. I'm great, except for the fact that I feel like this hairdo makes me look like Benjamin Franklin or George Washington. It was a hastily thrown together, so don't judge me too harshly. Hi, Dawn. Welcome, and welcome to anyone who might be trickling in. I see a few claps, and I see some familiar names popping up, so welcome, everyone. And if this is your first time joining us, if you're from snowy Minnesota or anywhere else, please uh, drop in the chat. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we welcome any and all comments, questions, or just say hi. Awesome. And there's Jordan Eisenstadt from Marino PR. Hey, Jordan. We're glad he's with us. We're glad everybody's with us. Well, I'm super excited and grateful about today's show. We've got a really great show. I sound like uh, Ed Sullivan when I say that. But um, first off, I just want to say I'm grateful to our sponsor, uh, High Hopes. High Hopes is a creative agency in the cannabis space. They've been in the cannabis space for over 10 years, and they understand what all of us go through on a daily basis. Rules, regulations, compliance, all that good stuff. And they help build better brands, better websites, better packaging. They do marketing, SEO, and I highly uh, recommend them. And I also want to thank them for winning a Clio Award last week, which is pretty awesome as well. And that's just reflective of the great work they do. So be sure to check them out at I've got um, The second thing I'm super excited about still after a few weeks of launching our courses, um, we have two marketing and branding courses on uh, brandingbud.com. Uh, one is called the 14 cannabis brand archetypes and the other is called Creating a Meaningful Cannabis Brand. So we've gotten some really great reviews and we're excited about it. We wanna share it uh, with you and we've got a couple of links we'll share during the course of our conversation. And thirdly- And hey, Marco from Taipei, welcome. Good to see you, man. That's right, we've got people all around the globe. And um, last but not least, I'm super excited about um, our guest today and our topic today. We'll be chatting with Dale Sky Jones, also known as Good Trouble, and we'll be chatting about cannabis and activism. Dale also wrote the foreword to my next book, which is called Cannabis versus Marijuana, Language, Landscape, and Context, and I am super grateful for that. Um, and she is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, some of the topics we'll be chatting about today are how does cannabis activism align with broader social justice movements? What laws and policies seek to create harm reduction and responsible use? And how can activism create economic opportunities for various communities? So with that, um, why don't we bring out uh, Dale Sky Jones from Oaksterdam University? Let's do it. Hi, Dale. Welcome, Dale. Hello. It is so good to see both of you, David, Adriana. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Oh, I'm from home. Really with you. <laughs> um, yes. Dale, typically I ask people, what are you passionate about? But I cannot resist. Sorry, David, I have to ask, how did you get the nickname Good Trouble? Who? Uh, well, you might ask my mother. Um, <laughs> on that. Uh, I, and compared to her, uh, my trouble was generally good. Um, I didn't get away a with with a lot. But I think the, the point behind that and, and you know, all, 
all uh, all jokes aside, that um, the good Congressman uh, Elijah Cummings was the person who came up with good trouble. And, you know, you have to sometimes break laws to make better laws. You have to occasionally put yourself, your body on the line in some situations um, in order to prove that point. And the line between activism and advocacy um, that the, the folks that are trying to maintain the status quo, that is the failure, are going to fight like hell. And you might be named everything from, you know, a, a zealot to um, a convict in the in the process of trying to change that law. So it's you are stirring up trouble. You're stirring up trouble for the people that, that want to keep it as it is. Um, and we just want to remind people it's for the good of the people. Trouble on the side of good. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Gail, one of the things we do is we start off with like a level sledding, level setting slide. Um, level just, sledding sounds more fun. Um, <laughs> especially in where snowy Minnesota right now, where we have one of our listeners, but um, um, you got to hook up to a pickup truck um, in the flatlands to, to get the good, the good sledding. Um, Y'all know who you are, who've done that before. Yeah. That's bad trouble right there. <laughs> so level set me. Yes. Um, so level setting. So we have a first slide that we'll just call out just to get us all on the same page, you know, different types of, um, different types of cannabis advocacy. So advocating for social justice, for legislative reforms, um, environmental components, medical treatment, uh, challenging stigma and misconceptions, empowerment and community development and promoting education and research. And there's so many more, but just to throw this out, you know, there's, uh, there's so many aspects of cannabis and activism. There's so many ways that individuals um, can participate in it. And I just wanted to kick that off with, with a slide to sort of open it up to all of these. But that said, um, how did you become interested in, um, you know, in activism and, and how do you participate in it on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, and I think it's important not to let this list overwhelm you. Um, it, it, what what I did was first fall in love with the problem and it was investigating how to solve that problem that I came into advocacy and activism. And, and I do kind of view them differently. I know we can go with dictionary definitions, um, but usually when I think of an activist, it's normally someone with the bullhorn and the sign outside, creating a ruckus, getting attention, drawing eyes, bringing light to whatever injustice uh, you're, you're trying to, to shine that light on. Um, but you're not necessarily in the back room doing the deals. And the, the advocate is that bridge that can walk into the office of the elected official, that can walk into the office of the doctor, that can walk into the church of Black elders and have the conversation with them um, that advocacy is going to look different for each of us. And for me, it started trying to help patients. It was understanding what medical cannabis patients were going through both to get their medicine, grow their medicine, obtain their medicine, protect their children, either while they were taking their medicine or, God forbid, the medicine for their children. And 
at, at first it was just about protecting patients. And then I quickly realized this is the most important social justice issue of my time and I might be able to affect it. And once I understood that, it became a moral imperative. How do you not if you know you can? And so in those first two or three years, it, 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 I was challenged by someone saying, well, how would you fix it early, early on in my career in cannabis? And I didn't have an answer. And that got so stuck in my craw of like, well, damn it, now I have to go figure out the, how do I solve the problem? And so for me, it was a slow roll. It took several years of understanding what the problem even was that needed to be solved. And what's resulted with Oaksterdam, you know, we weren't trying to legalize cannabis so much as we were trying to legalize people and their choices. I love what you just said. How, how do you, how do you know, how do you not, if you know you can? And uh, I love that. Well, can you tell uh, us a little bit more about the um, legalizing people aspect? I think that's a really powerful concept. Yeah, and it's also a bit of a third rail issue um, as we talk about, you know, different. Well, I mean, this is about not just freedom um, at, at its most basic, but but it's also a, about um, citizenship to a degree and, and what folks are allowed to do when they're on American soil if they are not a citizen. And the Constitution applies to all of us, uh, but it has been misapplied. Um, in fact, you know, we can start with the First Amendment uh, <laughs> and how that has been subjugated um, and in the, in the name of, of marijuana and its illegality and what, what you can't say uh, in the Second Amendment. Uh, good Lord, we are apparently the only people in America that can't carry guns. You can be an abuser. You can be a terrorist. You can be on the no-fly list, but you cannot be a cannabis consumer or patient um, and, and legally have a weapon. Um, I can keep going with the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, uh, Ninth and Tenth, also out the window. Uh, so yeah, I have some some you know reminders of our our independence right behind me uh, to remind us how we got here, and that that was written on hemp. Um, <laughs> that laws are made by man, um, and and we can affect at least, especially all these early laws were all made by men. I, I say that very specifically. Um, that we can affect these changes. And in the fourth, 14th Amendment, when we said we will no longer enslave our fellow people, at the same time, we said, unless you are convicted of a crime. And so we just created a loophole so that we could keep enslaving people, mostly black and brown bodies that are going into jail, working pennies on the dollar for America's largest corporations, I just don't know how, because we moved from chattel slavery to a softer, gentler prohibition, the problem is still there, that one in four Black men have been disenfranchised entirely in our country. And so when I say legalize people, whether you are driving while Black with a joint in your pocket, just like anyone driving while white with a joint in their pocket, just more likely to get pulled over. Um, we're also talking about patience. We're talking about your grandma. We're talking about veterans, where we, the first thing we should be doing is handing you a joint um, when you get off that boat. And instead, we're saying that your medicine that could help traumatic brain injury, 
PTSD, many issues that um, veterans face, including just assimilating back, um, you're disallowed depending on what state you live in. And so we just need to take the teeth out of the criminality of this, this thing that is safer than many things we commonly consume and address it um, more intelligently and not put people in jail over it while we're trying to figure out how to regulate it. Right, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in what ways has cannabis legalization, you know, helped social justice issues? Has it softened things up a little bit? I have long believed, and this is something my husband, who's been doing this over, well over a decade longer than me, um, has always believed, is it? it feels so obvious that there's just like a button to push and a lever to pull, and all this ridiculousness <laughs> can end. And we had to disassemble, end the drug war by pulling the thread of the war on marijuana, that cannabis prohibition was the most obvious ridiculousness, especially because it has shown um, medical, it, we don't understand how or why, and the research is, is finally being allowed to happen, uh, but we know that it helps. We know that uh, across the board, uh, it tends to make people, it leaves them better than, it, than they found it. Um, I think legalization has reminded folks that the, the conversation about mar marijuana and cannabis legalization has reminded folks about their other rights. And it's been really fascinating. David, the, the classes that we taught back in 2007, eight and nine about how to do advocacy, what is advocacy? What is jury nullification? These basic concepts that we all either slept through or skipped out of in high school. <laughs> Um, will make or break your future when that cop has you pulled over and they're asking you questions like what's in your trunk? Um, and oh shit, what, wait, what did she say in that? Uh, never consent to a search. Let the lawyer keep their toolkit. Okay. I do not consent to a search. And just that simple knowledge of civics can change your outcome of not just whether or not you go to jail that night, whether or not you lose your job, your family, your future, and in some cases your life, because some of the most dangerous things to your health turns out as being put in prison or jail. So what's just blowing my mind right now is this is on common people's lips everywhere. And I don't know that we necessarily can take credit for all of that, but I know we started that fire. Absolutely. I mean, I, I went to Amsterdam University in, I want to say 2011 or 2012. Um, and uh, you've been going ever since. So uh, before and ever since. So yeah. <laughs> were you pre-raid or post-raid? That's <laughs> the, the, yeah. So with um, educating people on how to stand up for their rights and potentially some positive impact from legalization, do you think, Dale, in your opinion, has the like shifting public perception and the public support for, for cannabis helped some of the causes that you just mentioned? You know, with, without question, the, the advocacy, you know, this isn't, this isn't, my win. This is like the the strength of our school are our alumni. 
you know, David, you're an excellent example of going out and continuing to change the world, not just in your neck of the, wo the woods, but around the world, because what you are projecting out there is getting into and changing hearts and minds everywhere. And it's nearly 100,000 alumni that go back and talk to their city council people, their governor, their grandma, their church leader, their neighbor. And that is also destigmatizing. And I think that that is the number one thing that, that I try to impart to students is show up. You must be present to win. <laughs> you have to show up to these meetings, show up to policy conversations. And it is hard to show up all the time. You can't be everywhere always. But picking those things that are most important to you and showing up. Uh, and and the, the second is telling your story. Short, concise, informative, but why should they care? Because they don't care what you know until they know you. And that storytelling brings folks along to why you are doing it. And once they realize, oh, you're trying to save the life of your child who has intractable seizures and you have tried everything else under the sun and the side effects of those things on your four-year-old have been heartbreaking. And this is the medicine of last resort. And CPS is knocking on your door, threatening to take that baby out of your arms because of the medicine you finally found to help them stop seizing and start learning. And it takes that being your granddaughter to change your vote in Congress. It always seems to take it being your granddaughter to change your vote in Congress. But we've got to tell your story for that to affect the people that have the vote. And so it's so scary for the mom where in sharing their story, in being brave, that's exactly what triggers CPS, Child Protective Services, to come snatch that child from you and not give them back. So how do you balance your bravery, your what you need to do for the movement, for the cause, to help your overall situation without sacrificing your baby, yourself, your life in the process. And that's also a conversation that you have to have, that we have with our students and that you have to have with yourself and your family. And make sure that if you're going to go put your neck out there, that you also have plans in place for your neighbor or your sister to come and watch your children so they don't go to CPS. Make sure that you have a lawyer with a plan in place for if those bad things happen. Um, it, it, some of these situations of advocacy uh, can can put you at risk, especially if you're still doing something not entirely legal in the neck of the woods that you're in. It can also put you at that tip of the spear to break through the wall. And that's why we call them Oaksterdam gladiators. You are trained fighters. You might get bloody. You might make money. You could win the war, <laughs> like you could win that battle. Uh, and there's 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 more to come. It's never the last one. Uh, so we just try to make sure that we teach you how to fight, how to fight fair and clean, only break one law at a time. And that's the federal law, um, meaning pay your taxes, don't steal electricity, follow labor laws, all the, all the other things uh, that you need to do. Uh, but you've got you've to realize as you operate that you still have to advocate because we are not legal yet, and neither are your customers and consumers. Mm -hmm. Really good point. Uh, you just mentioned a second ago, Oaksterdam University. And so what I would love to do is highlight um, not only that Oaksterdam does, does courses in education, but also releases materials that 
people can read and absorb and learn more about um, all of these issues that are related to legalization and also just how to correctly say things or like understand terminology. So if you all are down with this plan, I'm going to throw up a little audience participation. Um, and also, I want to say thank you to Erica for sharing a tiny bit of your story about the um, uh, went, going to a seminar about what to do when you get pulled over off very, very uh, important information and something I think we could all benefit from. But um, I think people are warmed up. So it sounds like we can go ahead and uh, ask the first question, which is a terminology question, I guess you would say. And that is about the term um, apothecary, which is something that you hear sometimes in reference to like how we would describe the style of the dispensary and how they dispense medicine or adult use cannabis to their customers or to their patients. Um, and the question is apothecary style is also referred to as A, pharmacy style, B, deli style. It looks like we're having a little bit of a slow load, uh, but we can still do the, the uh, quiz. C, racetrack style or D, boutique style. And I'd be happy to repeat those for you if you need to. Yeah. Um, well, and Dale, can you tell us a little bit about this question uh, and how it came up, like how it was included in the um, in the Oaksterdam University style guide? Yes, this uh, you you see apothecary style less and less. It, it used to be very very popular um, when you would walk into a dispensary. How were those buds presented to you? Were they already prepackaged, or were you able to say, "I would like"? half an ounce of that one, please. It's almost like building your own ice cream cone. So uh, being able to see the cannabis and also sometimes even smell it uh, is called, am I allowed to give the answer? Oh, just wait one second, one second. We have some more gu uh, guesses rolling in. I see a lot of guesses for A, pharmacy style, and one guess for B, deli style from Aaron. Uh, what's up, Aaron? How's Humboldt these days? Here's Aaron. Yeah, well, um, and it's also interesting too, you know. And, and while while people are still guessing, or while we're getting ready to to give the answer, I think it's. Um, I just want to call this out that this came from the uh, Oaksterdam terminology style style guide, which is all about words. And Dale, correct me if I'm wrong. This was really created not only for people in the industry, but for also people um, outside of the industry to, you know, like journalists and other people that are really speaking and talking about, um, you know, talking about cannabis and, and how better to use the right words. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I think, David, you can use this uh, depending on who you are. Like if you are a little newer to the industry, let's say you're a professional coming into the C-suite, this will help you understand when somebody's talking about a chemotype or a chemovar, you're trying to like, wait, what? I'm sorry, what the hell? Oh, is that like a strength? Wait, what is that? And you, you can literally just flip over what is that? Um, it's great for writers. It's great for branding and marketing. Uh, oftentimes, we're also working with with marketers, and you know, words like recreational. <laughs> I'm gonna unpack that one, David, because it is my favorite one to hate. Uh, I I want to wash your mouth out with soap when I hear recreational uh, marijuana, because recreational tends to refer to family fun. And as a responsible industry, we are trying to not make this sound fun 
for kids. This is not a Joe Camel experience, but we're coming off like one industry when we say recreational versus medicinal or adult use or responsible use. Um, and so, you know, words matter. And when you are in a state like Nebraska, saying recreational is also affecting the soccer mom in the voting booth when they're thinking about their 12-year-old recreating. It should be medicinal cannabis they're thinking about or adult use, responsible use cannabis that they're thinking about, not their teenager abusing it. So it, 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 it all comes around whether you are trying to write about it or you are um, intent on becoming a thought leader then utilizing the right verbiage to make sure that what you intend to say is what is received is just crucial. And it's available both in paper, if you like that pocket guide, but it's also uh, very easy to just download on your Kindle and have available. Absolutely, and that's super cool. And um, no wonder why you wrote the forward to my upcoming book, because you're, you're as passionate about the words we choose as, as much as I am, which is really important. You are my kind of wonk, David, yes. You know, I just want to say <laughs> he as well, um, who's joining, joining us. Do you prefer geek or nerd? Sorry, I want to. <laughs> no. On, on those three we use the correct terminology when referring to David, please. Right. On those three <laughs> words, I'm, I'm good with all of them. Um, let's jump to the answer, shall we? Because we still. Let's do. Yeah, Dale, do you want to do the honors? Yes, indeed. It is deli style. The apothecary model refers to dispensaries that weigh and sell cannabis flour from bulk containers when it is ordered. So you walk in, you look, you ask, and then in front of you, they put it in. Although the apothecary model is still used in some regions, most now do not allow it. It is a dying model. Pre-weighed and packaged flowers are now sold in most regions that have banned or disallowed this model. It's also very difficult for track and trace. And so um, it is going by the wayside. It is. And just to add to that quickly. Um, Wendy and Aaron, good job. You both got it right. That's right. Typically, you know, when you can smell cannabis, you have a better sense of if it's right for you or not. You know, um, it's uh, it's important. And uh, and when you're... The nose knows, right. David. There's... there. Are, uh, there are some remarkable, um, and you know, a lot of this is still testimonial. But when you when you start to find out what patients prefer the smell of, and then you dive into the terpenes, the flavonoids, the uh, what what we're learning about, you know, the, the, the chemotype, um, and how it affects different symptoms, uh, suddenly you start to connect the dots that an MS patient tends to go for that varietal that also from all research is most likely to help them. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, yes, trust your nose. And there's, there's a term called organoleptic and organoleptic yes. is using our senses to, to find often what is right for us or not right for us even before we taste it or try something. So, um, so it's very much falls into that category. Um, Dale, what challenges have you encountered while advocating and, um, you know, is there anything that, that repeats itself um, in any, any ways you've learned to sort of work through um, as an activist on, on those, in those situations? Oh, that is so loaded. Uh, there are so many different. Uh, oh. So I, I think with advocacy, there needs to be some cycle of like mental health awareness as well, because advocacy can be crushing 
Um, you can spend years working towards something that is, you know, especially what you truly believe best for your community, society, the future of that plant um, or that person and watch it be destroyed or subverted um, or just never happen uh, due to forces outside your control. Sometimes usually it's um, money, <laughs> uh, either the lack thereof or the money flowing in a direction that does not agree with the advocacy you're trying to do um, and, and, and watching individuals or organizations that in theory know better, but they've also got to follow the money to stay alive. And then they're supporting less than great outcomes because it's the best they can do. Um, not then feeling like everything you've done is lost or uh, giving up, walking away, finding different ways to apply what you've learned. Uh, I, I think just advocates um, also tend to be the, the least resourced among us. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're in the, within the sound of my voice and you hear me, like everything is going to be okay. It is worth it and you can do it. Maybe you just need to do it a little differently. Um, I know I've had to take step backs and step forwards here and there and how I apply, uh, my advocacy, where I talk, how much I put myself out there. Um, sometimes you can do too much in too many places and you draw down on, on what you're then capable of truly affecting because you're, you're not moving anything. You're just flailing. Um, what I see happen over and over again are, are two things that I would call out. First is the advocates or activists or business people that come in don't look around first. And, and I don't know how to fix this. This is a human thing. Um, but they, they often either ignore or trample the very people that would help them get to where they want to be and then recreate what already exists. And now it's very difficult to hear the signal through the noise because there's just so many of us doing the same thing. And how do you tell us apart? Uh, and, and how do you then coalesce those groups to agree on the one thing that's going to move the issue forward for all of us? Um, and the second thing that I've, I've observed is that all of this is on a cycle. And so I just wait for it. <laughs> like if I absolutely love where I am, I remind myself this is going to end soon and you need to be ready for that. And where I am, I just tell myself, hold on a little longer. It'll change because the politics are on a cycle that match up with presidential elections. What changes and when it will change matches up with presidential and local elections. So the most change tends to happen in the year of the election. Uh, and, and that's, you know, but you have to do all your groundwork leading up to that so that when, when you catch that opening, you can push through um, what, what you've been planning. So uh, wait for it, <laughs> whatever it is, plan for it, whatever it is. Uh, I think what I'm trying to say is wherever we are, it's gonna change. And um, that has been the number one rule of this industry is it is constantly changing. Um, and you've got to be able to embrace that and plan in that 20% of your day is going to be the unknown. And you've got to make room for that to be able to embrace it. 
Wow. You're I making mean, me feel very hopeful and I appreciate it. I'm trying. <laughs> you also bring up a great point that, you know, it's not only the mess message, it's also the, the timing, you, you know, and that's, that's super important. Um, you know, and, and everything is cyclic, as you said, and, and we've, we've seen that over time. So, um, so thanks for bringing that up because that's, that's important too, as people think about, you know, what they're doing, what they're pushing for, how they spend their days, you know, in, in their personal way of, of activism. Um, I think that's really important. You just nailed it. It's, it's how you spend your days day in and day out. Are you moving yourself closer to your, your goal or further away with the actions that you're taking each day? And I'll draw us back to the beginning of the conversation of falling in love with the problem. If you're in love with the problem you're trying to solve, you're also keeping your company dynamic. You're keeping your team dynamic because as the landscape changes, as the rules change, you have your eye focused on that problem that you are solving for your customer, for your clients. Your eye is always on that price. So you're willing to shift your strategies and your tactics. And that also keeps you at the tip of the spear of your industry like Oaksterdam has done. You know, we are the first, but I still think we're the best because we're constantly reinventing ourselves. We're looking at what is happening in the market and doing things differently, often being the first to do them, sometimes too soon. And ouch, that's painful <laughs> because it's like, okay, we got it. And then you have crickets and nobody wants it. And then two years later, you put it down and you look up two years later, everyone's doing it. It was like, ah, I was too soon. Um, so how do we do it now? And then you realize, well, even how I was going to do it two years ago, I would probably reinvent now. Uh, so a lot of it just has to do with not, not falling in love with your solution because that is how your company goes stagnant right. and others pass you by. It's true. It's yeah. absolutely true. And, and very much so in this industry. I just want to call out, we've got some listeners from the Bronx as well as France. And I think that's pretty exciting. We're, We're going to be in New York. Yeah, they know something about advocacy in France for sure. That's yes. Right. We, we had somebody graduate and go out there back in uh, 2010. He was, he was, uh, he worked on site with us um, for, for several months and then went back and started normal France. So yes, there's uh Worldwide, um, our alumni are from 110 countries. So uh, hopefully now that we're based in your living room, um, you can come check us out. You don't have to fly to America anymore. Uh, but we are going to be in New York City uh, December 3rd for an exciting documentary movie premiere as well. Very mm. cool. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see you in the Bronx. Let's jump to uh, our audience participation number two in light of time. All right. So um, our next question is, cannabis is the only, this is a true or false, by the way, can fact or can fiction, um, cannabis is the only plant to produce cannabinoids, or is the only plant that produces cannabinoids. Is that A, true, or B, false? And this is quite interesting. So audience, feel free to jump in, put your answers. It's either A or B, true or false. And in the meantime, um, we could uh, we'll we'll just jump to uh, something quickly. Um, you know, so uh, Dale, just chat with us uh, briefly while um, while some of the folks are chiming in about um, you know about you, you just mentioned in your living room um, the ability you know for for Oaksterdam University to come into everybody's home. Is there you want to just briefly talk about that? 
Well, we offer classes and courses, whether you are trying to get certification uh, that you can use to get a license or a job, or you're just trying to understand what this is anyway and how to apply it to your own life. So we have uh, DIY classes like homegrown. Uh, you grow your own cannabis. Uh, we actually got uh, involved with Homegrown Seed Company where we you can select THC or CBD seeds. Uh, we'll mail you a pack of seeds so that you can get growing uh, while you get learning. And we also have, of course, the commercial horticulture program. We are world famous horticulture college. Uh, we have the business of cannabis, manufacturing and extractions, as well as responsible vendor training. And so these are available asynchronously, just on demand. You log in whenever you want. You have access to a video library as well. And then we also have live cohorts that you can come in and interact with these students from all over the world. So you might have someone in Brazil sitting next to someone from Tennessee, sitting next to someone in France. Uh, we have had some folks in countries where I'm like, oh, good Lord, I hope your government doesn't know you're doing this. Um, it, it's, uh, it's scary sometimes, uh, some of the countries um, and, and knowing what their laws are. But I've also watched some of these countries like Thailand uh, completely change their approach. And there's no doubt that it was Oaksterdam students years ago going back and working with and talking to uh, the government and the health ministries and the constables about how to actually get it to the farmers um, and not just have this be uh, a land grab. Yeah. I think, I think however you learn that Oaksterdam has a way to bring it to you. So if you enjoy that live component um, or I'm gonna go ahead and pull this out because we have another book. This is the gem, uh, The Bud Tender's Guide. And this one is a book that goes along with our Bud Tender program, but it's not just for professionals. It's, it's frankly for enthusiasts. Uh, if your dear Aunt Betty is starting to get into cannabis and she's trying to figure out what this is and how to consume safely and responsibly, uh, it's excellent for training your staff and your team. And it's also available just on download with Kindle. So it works really well on an iPad in front of customers to flip through and you know talk about terpenes and flavonoids and look at different charts on how things might affect you. And what's neat about this is we interviewed bud tenders from all over the world um, for uh, quotes and inferences of how they do their job so well. So you can be your own bud tender or uh, get a job as one. Yes. Very cool. And awesome. We just put up the uh, link uh, directly to the guide, to the bud tender's guide. So if anybody wants to check that out, feel free. Um, let's jump back to the answer here. Um, so it seems like everybody was all about bee, and uh, Aaron Sells even called out, did you know eggplant, uh, eggplants contain trace amounts of nicotine? That's interesting. I did not know that. I did not know that. But, um, yeah. The they just discovered another shrub. I think it was like this week that grows across South America that um, produces CBD as well. Yeah. Whoa. THC is less less found. Um, CBD is found in, in a variety of plants. Yes. Absolutely. I also know, so cannabinoids, so the answer is B, false. And cannabinoids can also be found in echinacea, black truffle, carrots, and turmeric, just to name a few. There's actually a few um, CBD patch products uh, that are on the market that are made of from orange peel, believe it or not. So there's quite a, quite a lot for us to learn um, across, you know, the world of cannabinoids. Um, that said, um, Dale, we just, time flies when, when we're 
Ah, it's true. We're going through this. Uh, I always joke that it's the fastest 45 minutes of my week. But um, we really want to thank you for coming on. We want to thank you for sharing not only your knowledge with us, but but really about Oaksterdam. Oaksterdam has been around for so many years, you know, mm-hmm. more than decades or more than a decade for sure. And um, you continue to do the things that the industry really needs. You continue to do the hard work. And we really thank you for that. And for those of you that don't know Oaksterdam, please go check them out. You know, they not only offer classes online, um, in person, they also have these great books that they're putting out that are, you know, whether it's the Bud Tender's Guide or the Terminology um, product as well. It's just um, really important for us to use the right words, for us to learn about it in the same way, and quite frankly, for all of us to get on the same page. And Billy, you've been doing that for a long time. So we, we can't thank you enough, and I urge everybody to check out University. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Thank you. Hopefully I was the hit of hope for all of you that were questioning, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. Even on the days it doesn't feel like it. Get up, do it anyway, and it will change. Change is coming. Thank you so much, Dale. Thank you. Thank you, Adriana. Have a beautiful afternoon, everyone. Thank you. You too. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Well, you know what I say. That's the fastest 45 minutes of my week. It just, uh, we build, we build, we write the scripts, we invite the guests, and uh, there's so much work behind the scenes, but it, it goes. And in- then we cry when it's over because we wish it was going to last longer. That's right. Um, that said, we're super excited uh, for our show next week. Um, and next week, um, we'll be back on Thursday, November 9th with Angela Brown. She's the co-founder of Coast Cannabis based in Massachusetts. And our topic is Cannabis and the Race to the Bottom, uh, which is going to be very interesting. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things. It's a real um, problem, for sure. It is. Also, just a quick reminder to everybody that um, we do have two courses that we've recently created, so please check them out on brandingbud.com, edu or slash edu. And for the listeners um, on LinkedIn, we also have a code, which is a 25% discount code, BBEDU25. Again, we have two courses, Creating a Meaningful Cannabis Brand and the 14 Cannabis Brand Archetypes. So we're super stoked about that. As time progresses, we'll be putting up more um, lessons and courses as well. So, um, so please check them out. Also, we'd like to thank our sponsor again, High Hopes. Again, a creative agency in the cannabis space uh, that focuses on branding, packaging, uh, website development, SEO, and they just won an award uh, last week, a Clio Award for some of their work. So we want to thank them for sponsoring the show, and we want to bring your attention to them because they're really amazing people, and they do great work. You can check them out at I'veGotHigherHopes.com. And um, and then lastly, um, if you can't um, if you can't spend time with us and watch what we're doing, you can always listen to us. Where uh, we have uh, our audio version of the show up on Amazon, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and CastBox, pretty much all of the majors. So um, if you need to multitask and you're doing your your thing and you just want to listen to us on a weekly basis, you can do that too, all audio. Or you can check out, if you miss the live show, you can check us out either on LinkedIn or on our YouTube channel at Branding Bud Live. 
Thank you, everybody. We're super excited that you joined us today. Listening when you're cooking, doing chores, all those things. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'll see everybody next week, Thursday, November 9th, for Cannabis and the Race to the Bottom. Until then, have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.